How you guys doing today? Are you enjoying the front row? Yeah. Yeah, I'm enjoying having you here. I'm looking forward to it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I got a, uh, let's see, uh, open your Bibles to Romans 6. Get everything in the right order here today. Um, I got another, uh, I got another ad in the mail from Bob Larson. I don't know if any of you remember uh, the last one, but it's similar, although even better than last time. Bob Larson, if you don't know it, is the world's foremost authority on the occult, demons, and the supernatural. He has helped thousands find freedom from depression, anger, fear, sexual addiction, alcoholism, and drugs through exorcism and inner healing. You've seen him on Larry King Live, The O'Reilly Factor, Oprah, Fox News, CNN, Dr. Phil, and other network programs. No person... No person has been used more mightily of God to help people find spiritual freedom. That's quite a burden to bear, I would think. So you should go and find the person God meant you to be. If you don't like what we're teaching, go see Bob Larson. Because he's the world's greatest expert on helping you become the person who you want to be. Or if you don't like that, I got this ad in the mail this week too. The Psychology of Resilience. This is, this is prime. This is, this is really sweet. Now, I'll tell you ahead of time, if you don't understand some of this, I don't quite either. I, I think I have an idea what they're talking about. This is a one-day seminar from Melissa Bradley, the instructor who brought you the three stages of healing on counseling victims of certain kind of trauma. The psychology of resilience is a multimodal framework for thriving based on the heroic journey. You will learn how to inspire, motivate, and empower your clients to thrive in the most difficult events. Human beings have an innate desire to make order and sense out of chaos, but are often unable to do this effectively. Therapists need techniques and tools to help them empower clients to overcome adversity, embrace change, and thrive. For centuries, traditional storytellers, philosophers, theologians, anthropologists, and sociologists have helped people, have helped provide frameworks to understand and conquer life's transitions and challenges. I'm glad to know that my work is put on the same level as a traditional storyteller. These frameworks are used worldwide in clinical practices, schools, businesses, religious settings, communities, and philosophies to promote resilience and drive individuals to thrive. Clinicians and other professionals can use these timeless concepts to help patients Clients and students manage the normal passages of life. Participants in this one-day seminar will examine the four steps universally found in great literature, spiritual texts, and popular culture, known as the heroic journey. And they will learn how to utilize these concepts in a variety of client situations to help motivate and inspire 
you will learn to utilize and adapt a multimodal approach, including cognitive, behavioral, solution-based, Jungian, expressive, experiential, somatic, internal resource development, and narrative therapies for most types of clients. The heroic journey, she goes on to explain, or somebody does, whoever wrote this, is this idea that there are some principles to be found in the universe that will help you work through life and that all philosophies, ideologies, theologies contain the same steps. Now I'm here to tell you today that I do not want to inspire you. If you came to get inspired, you came to the wrong place. I want you to be transformed by the power of God. I am glad that this is what we are talking about. God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I'm so happy to tell you today that we have the singular life-changing truth in the world. I want you to be transformed. I don't want you to just be excited about working through something. We've been talking about uh, a broad concept called the building blocks of righteousness. And this is my attempt to try to synthesize some things together from the Scripture to help you understand how godliness is going to happen in your life. Some of us want to be godly, and others are struggling to make sense out of their life, and they don't know it, but what they need is godliness. What God wants to give us, what He wants us to experience, are things such as the fruit of the Spirit, to be self-controlled, to be patient, to be kind, to make a contribution to the body of Christ, to be able to love our family members, to experience the blessing of God. And you don't need some expert to teach this to you. You need God's truth. I hope that I am a skilled teacher, but I am, do not have a unique perspective on life. The only perspective I have is the same one you have and the same one you need to have, which is God's truth. And so we understand that the Word of God is the foundation of everything in our life. We don't pursue some supposed knowledge from the psychology of resilience and the heroic journey. And we don't go to get some special word and some special uh, anointing from some man who has declared himself to be the most effective life changer in the world. What will we do when he is gone? The Word of God is the foundation of life, and we need to reject all other foundations and solely focus ourselves on it. The chief thing that it brings to us is salvation. God changes our life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If we are in Christ, the potential for strength, the potential for meaning comes into us. And when we get into situations that are tough, we have what we need because God has put it in. As Christians, we need to embrace God's truth that we just read in 2 Peter chapter 1, which is this. God has the only truth for life. There is no truth for life outside. There, I have gone to a number of things like this psychology of resilience strictly to learn what they think. 
and they don't have anything that changes people's lives. God has the only truth for life. I have to believe that God has the power to enable change. I visited with some people this week who do not believe God can change things. Now, did they say that? No. Do they live that way? Yes. I know all of you would say, oh yes, God can do things, God can change things. But do you believe that when you look across the dinner table? Do you believe that when you look across the church? Can God change people? Can God grow people up? Can God make things all work together for good to them who love him? Yes, God can do that. He has the power to do that. Will God meet my needs if I live righteously? Tremendous challenge in some situations. If I do the right thing, if I am honest, if I am pure, if I am true, will God meet my needs? Can God meet my needs? God rewards right living. Hebrews 11.6, we must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we do not believe that, we will not step out in faith to walk on God's path. It's a key, key understanding that brings about maturity. My life is focused on God's glory. Once I have these foundational beliefs in place, I have to make a choice. Is my life about me, or is my life about God and what He is doing in me and through me in the world? If it's about me, I'm going to fight with God many times. If it's about God, I'm going to accept what he does, whether it has to do with a trial in my life or an opportunity or a challenge that he puts before me. My thoughts are Christ-like. We have to choose how to think based on God's truth. We cannot think in ways that are natural to us and achieve the righteousness of Christ. We can fight and defend those ways, but we will not result, it will not result in Christ-likeness. Now today, we're going to consider this very simple building block, and yet it has some great ramifications. My behavior is biblical. I don't know how many people I've talked to who, are, who want peace in their life, but they will not choose godly behavior for their life. People who want to be happy and are frustrated that they are not happy, and yet they will not choose God's behavior. The two go hand in hand. The results cannot come from anything except a godly path. Now let's try and understand this a little more deeply today as we start with this idea. Biblical behavior causes us to receive God's love. As I studied this this week, some things jumped off the page that I hadn't noticed before. But listen to this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you understand that if you will not obey God's truth, you will not receive the love of God? Now, I'm not saying that you earn it. I'm saying that there is a relational element. And that relational element begins with being a believer in Christ. God has given a commandment that we believe in Christ who died on the cross to pay for our sins. 
He said, look, you can't save yourself. You're a sinner. How can a sinner offer a sacrifice or a payment for sin? You're sinful to begin with. But I will send my perfect son and he will suffer and die and he will bear the sin of all the world and he will rise from the dead to show his triumph over over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And if you will believe in him, then we will enter into relationship. If you will not obey that commandment, you are not a child of God. Now, the great news is, if you have believed that commandment, if you have said, I do believe in Christ as my Savior, you have entered into a love relationship with God. Now, the love relationship with God is maintained. Now, by maintained, I don't mean you're earning your final salvation. I mean you are maintaining the effectiveness of the relationship. It is maintained by your ongoing obedience. God says, tell the truth. And I say, I don't want to tell the truth. God says, be pure. And I say, I don't want to be pure. What kind of a relationship is that going to be? Kids, let me ask you. When your mom and dad say, take out the garbage, have any of you ever flat out said to them, no? No. You're smarter than that, aren't you? Yeah. But you thought it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But if you were to say that, how would your relationship with your parents be? Would you describe it as, Loving or something else? Something else, that's right. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) He's just laughing, thinking about his brother saying, no, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. Now, how do you think God responds when you look at him and go, no? He's not the great white-haired grandpa in the sky who says, oh, well, whatever. No. When When you choose to sin, there is a cloud between you and God, just like when you do something mean to your husband or wife, or or to your brother or sister, you're still related, but there's a cloud, and it's got to be taken care of. There has to be confession of sin to restore the relationship. God will not kick you out of his family, but like a good parent, he will say, let me help you say yes. (laughs) Right? And when you say yes, you feel better, and God is happy as well, and the result is, the love of God is poured out on you. Now, we all know this, that God doesn't pour out blessing on people that are walking in sin, but have you ever stopped to just think about that? The very first importance of my biblical behavior is because it unleashes the love of God on me. Do you want God to be in the business of correcting you or the business of loving you as a father? And the correction is loving too, I understand that. It's very important. Our behavior is important because it unleashes God's love. God says the same thing in 2 Corinthians in a passage that we often we often quote in regard to separation, that is the idea that Christians should be separate from sin, churches should be separate from uh, ungodly churches, that sort of thing. But the end of it is a promise. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you. 
And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Our relationship to, the, with, to God has to be righteous in order to receive his greatest blessing. Let me turn this around the other way, guys. Have you ever gone up to your dad and just said something mean and insulting? And then the very next minute asked him for 20 bucks? No. How do you ask your dad for something? Come here. Come here. Come stand up here, Matt. Where's your dad at? Where's your dad at? He's wait. Okay. Okay. Tell everybody how you, how you talk when you're asking for something. Dad, can I please have 20 bucks? There you go. There you go. You know, when my, when my girls especially used to ask, they'd go like this. Dad... Oh, I knew it was coming. <laughs> Especially with one of them, because most of the time it was dad. <laughs> Christian, when you walk biblically, you unleash the love of God on yourself. Don't you want to do that? Man, I do. I do. On one of my rare trips to McDonald's for breakfast this week. (laughs) I'm sorry, God. (laughs) I saw a grandfather and a grandson. They were sitting behind me, and and I kind of overheard their conversation. And he he was about the size of one of these boys, maybe a little bit younger. And uh, Grandpa was a little older than me. And uh, I heard their conversation about the food and... And, and he was saying, uh, here, you, you, want, you want some pancakes? And then and he said, now you've got to eat some pancakes before you get some jam on your biscuit. And I thought, when I take Malachi to McDonald's, we're going to put syrup and jam all over everything. Whatever you want, man, live it up. That's going to be a great time. I am just going to, I'm going to spoil them. We're going to have fun. Because I can. Don't you think God wants to dole it out on you? Well, he does when you're walking righteously. It just makes him happy. Now, I'm not trying to communicate to you that you can get to a place where there will be no trial, no difficulty. I'm not saying that. But what God clearly says is, look, I'm your father. I am your loving father. I am your perfect father. And so when we walk righteously, we get the result of that fatherly perfection. Second reason our behavior needs to be biblical is this. Biblical behavior causes us to become like Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word complete could be translated mature, brought to an intended purpose. Do you want to be complete as a person or partial? Now, we would, if all of us who are honest would look at our lives and say, well, I have some, I have some uh, blind spots. We can certainly look at other people and see their blind spots. But we all know we aren't complete. But God says, look, through the word of God, through your obedience to the word of God, you will become complete. 
we've been refurbishing and repairing our home for eight years now. And I bought tools when we moved in. Before we even moved in, I went to Costco and bought some tools, went to Sears and got some tools. I thought, well, I'm going to need this and this and this. And, and, uh, and I've been buying tools for eight years. I just bought a nail gun to put up the fence boards. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, man. Arr, 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 arr. <laughs> it's the greatest. And I've already got three people to loan it to. I'm constantly finding a need for something to help me get a job done, and I suspect that my tool collection will never be complete until my resources are exhausted. But my spiritual tool collection is complete. It's all here. I don't need to look anywhere else for something to help me as a man. I'll never master this, but I'm going to progress in it. Uh, Albert Barnes, in his commentary on this passage, said this, The human mind, in its investigations of truth, has never gone beyond the Bible's teachings, nor has man ever advanced into a region so bright that, it's, that the Bible's light has become dim, or where it has not thrown its beams of glory on still far distant objects. We are often in circumstances in which we feel that we have reached the outer limit of what man can teach us, but we never get to such circumstances in regard to the Word of God. It's complete. It's all there. And so it is the path to becoming like Christ. Now, you're in Romans 6, I asked you to turn there and you're wondering why, and it's because of our next point, which is this. Biblical behavior can be chosen. We're going to read from Romans 6 and understand how it is possible to choose to do what God says. Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon or decide that you yourselves are dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin control your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. 
for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, when you believed in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, God says you were united together with Him in a way that caused your sinful nature to be crucified, put to death. The result of that is you are freed from the enslaving element of sin. You're not free from the presence of sin, but from the enslaving element. When an unbeliever is tempted to sin, he would be accurate to say, I can't say no. But when a Christian is tempted to sin, he would be accurate to say, I've been freed. I do not have to sin. Has that lesson really gotten through to you yet? You know, honestly, it only got through to me a few years ago. And I, I, I just stopped and said, I don't have to do that. Now, I want to do that. My sinful, my sinful experience tells me there's something over there, but I don't have to. I can turn. I can walk away. You have been freed. You can choose to live biblically. It is possible. No matter what God commands, it is possible. God chose the image of immersion for baptism based on this passage because he said, look, the reality in your life is when you believe it's death, burial, and resurrection. And that's why we go under the water and come back up. We picture what has already happened inside of us. And because of that, Because we died with Christ, we are then born again. And one of the chief benefits of that new birth is freedom from sin. No circumstance or action of another person can make you sin. No circumstance or action of another person can make you sin. Would you just stop and think about this? I know that person pushes my buttons, but I'm the one who chooses how to respond. Um, Last week, we talked about the divine human cooperative based in this passage of Scripture. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God has crucified your sin nature, but according to verse 11 in Romans 6, you have to decide that it's true and decide that you're going to act in accordance with it. God has done the real work. You have to step up and join that work. And when you do, he will empower your actions and he will change your life. God has killed your sinful nature. God has given you a godly nature. I have here a a photocopy of a photocopy out of my file of things, and it's actual excuses given on insurance claim forms. And you've probably heard some of these. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house, and I collided with a tree that I don't have. (laughs) 
The other car collided with mine without giving warning of its intentions. A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. (laughs) To avoid hitting the bumper of the car in front, I struck the pedestrian. What do you think your excuses sound like to God? Do you suppose God's up in heaven with a piece of paper like that, writing those down? (laughs) Well, look, no, (laughs) You see, Christian, there is no excuse. There is no excuse. Biblical biblical behavior can be chosen. You can control your mouth. You can control where your feet walk. You can control what your hands do. You can control what you listen to and what you think about. It is all possible because of your faith in Christ who has given you a new life. There's no excuse. Biblical behavior, or excuse me, behavior is an indicator of spirituality. Now, you need to understand that spirituality is either good or bad. Listen to this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. I spent quite a bit of time a few weeks ago talking about your thinking, and one of the things that I really encouraged you toward from the Scripture is this. Get your thinking right, and your behavior will follow. And that's absolutely true. Now let me tell you an opposite truth, not, uh, not that they are opposite, in, but a, a different perspective. If your behavior is wrong, your heart is wrong. Out of the heart these things come. I don't know why I killed that guy. Oh yeah, you do. You do. I don't know why I keep doing this. I don't know why I keep going there. I just don't know what's going on. No, you do. You absolutely do. Folks, if your behavior is sinful, there is something sinful in your heart that's giving rise to it. Now, there are times when we accidentally hurt people like we say something we did not intend or there's a perception issue we understand that that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about sinful things even that becomes sinful if you're made aware of it and you refuse to change because they should just be able to take it well no what's in your heart that's making you do that you should change because you're trying to love them if your behavior is sinful something is wrong in your heart It's not something wrong in your circumstance. Parents, when your kids do something rebellious, don't look outside your house and go, this world we're living in is just so wicked, my kids can't help themselves. No, your kids have a wicked heart. Sorry, kids. I'm doing it because I love you. If there's wickedness in the behavior, there's wickedness in the heart. We've got to understand that behavior is an indicator of spirituality. There is no such thing as an accidental action. I just accidentally hit my sister. No, I didn't. 
There is no such thing as a subconscious driver of action. The subconscious was invented by Freud as part of his explanation of human behavior. It has no basis in science or theology, only in philosophy. Freudian psychiatric philosophy. You do things because something is in your heart and in your mind. And so, as such, if you want, if you really are concerned to get your heart right, use your behavior as a thermometer. Or as a, uh, an, an indicator, a pressure valve. When something goes wrong, you go, oh, something's not right here. I gotta go over here and look inside me and figure out what's going on. Number five, behavior becomes godly through planning. Look at Romans 6, 19. Romans 6, 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented, just as you used to present your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, now Christian, you should present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You are either planning to live righteously or ungodly. When you get up in the morning, there's a plan in place. Now, you might not have written it on a piece of paper. It might just be the default plan. If you know anything about computers, there are certain defaults. Even in the the newer Microsoft stuff, I think they call it artificial intelligence. It's really just an artificial uh, inflammatory device. But when you do certain keystrokes, it thinks it knows what you want. What it knows what you want to do, and it automatically changes some of the content in there to to fit this formatting. Then you have to choose to undo it, and thankfully, it can learn to stop doing it as well. If we've been living our life in one way, one way, one way, when we get up in the morning, we're going to keep living in that way unless we plan to live differently. If your language has too much French, then you need to plan what you will think and do the next time you hit your thumb with a hammer. I'll grant you that you have a habit and words just pop out of there. But it's not automatic, it's based on a habit. So now the question becomes, what will be the new habit? You need to plan now before you hit your thumb, so that when you do, because you know it's just a matter of time until you do it again, what are you going to say? What are you going to think? If your plate always seems to have too much food on it, then you need to learn how much is the right amount. If your boss's rebuke makes you seethe with anger, then you need to decide what a godly response would be. You need to decide what you're going to do the next time somebody tells a dirty joke in the lunchroom or the locker room or wherever. You need to decide what you're going to do when someone offers you drugs or alcohol or pornography or someone propositions you for an ungodly relationship. You need to decide what you're going to do when your husband or wife does that thing that sets you off. And you need to decide what you're going to do based on the scriptures. It goes without saying that you can't plan what to do if you don't know what to plan. 
And that's where it comes right back to that practical element of being in the Word every day. How can you possibly know how to change your behavior if you're not learning the behavior from God? And so I'm going to ask you the first question that needs to be asked in the planning for righteousness. What is your plan for spending time in the Word on a daily basis? That's the first step in the plan. If you are going to plan to be godly, you have to plan to be in the Word and let it confront you every day, every day. God Behavior becomes godly through planning. And the last point today is this. Some broad areas of behavior that I should be considering. Last week I gave you a whole series of thoughts that you ought to be, some broad thoughts you ought to be thinking about. Let me give you some broad behavioral things to think about. The first one is this. Am I choosing actions that put me in the place of temptation? Romans thirteen fourteen. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You know the old story about the fellow that got his nose broken three places, and he told his friend, I got my nose broken three places. What do you think I ought to do? And the friend said, stop going to those places. (laughs) I know it's really lame, but it's really profound. Every time I go here, preacher, I fall into sin. Well, stop going there. Every time I drive past this, every time I talk to this person, every time I spend time with this person, then I'm sorry, you've got to stop spending time with that person. Unless you're married to them. And you've got to do some other things. Make no provision for the flesh. Where I work out, there aren't very many beautiful women. But there's a whole bunch of magazines that have to do with bodybuilding and such. Okay, they aren't porn magazines, but they don't push my mind in a good direction. And I have to walk right past one to get the little spray bottle to clean the machine every time I exercise. And so I have started going to get the stuff like this. And I get the stuff and I walk away. Because if I don't, I put myself in the place of temptation. And I've just got to avoid it. What is the temptation you've got to avoid? You know, if you spend too much every time you go to the mall, maybe don't go to the mall so much. I mean, it's a simple... You say, well, is it as simple as that? Yeah, it's as simple as that. Don't make a provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust. Whatever it is that your flesh craves, figure out a plan that says, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that behavior. Another broad area of behavior. I am choosing actions. Am I choosing actions that please people or, choo- or please God? Listen to this from Galatians 2. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, this is Paul talking. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. I got up in his face because he was to be blamed. His behavior was wrong. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew himself and fearing those who were of the circumcision, that is the Jewish believers. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. The Apostle Paul said, look, Peter, as great a man as he was, when it came to this temptation, he 
he said, oh, I've, I can't stand up to these people who are wrong. I've got to go along with them. I've got to please them. What did the Apostle Paul say? He said, do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Young people, this is going to be a challenge for you. Because the crowd around you is going to push you. They're going to push you in all kinds of directions. And you've got to decide, am I going to please God or man? It's a broad category. You know, we really, you know, we could look at something like, uh, you know, let's be real typical here. And, you know, some, some guys on a football team and, and they're going to have a kegger, let's say, and, and he's, he's going to go. And we might look at the sin of drunkenness, but the, the first sin is one of saying, am I pleasing man or God? Because Apostle Paul said, if I'm going to please men, I won't be the bondservant of Christ. We've got to stand up and say what's right and what's wrong. We've got to do it, not because it's fun, but because it's godly. There are times in life when this is extra hard. Parents, I heard a thing yesterday on the Christian radio. They were talking about parents who never say no to their kids. Why is that? Well, I don't want the little holy terror creating a big fuss. Are you trying to please man or God? What does God want for your child? That's the question we've got to ask. Am I choosing, the next one here, am I choosing actions that please people or choose God? Um, let me go on here. Oh, that one, that one got left off. Um, the last one is this. Am I choosing actions that give immediate gratification or am I choosing actions that bless God? Um, let me go back. There's the text that I want for that. I think it's the last question on the list. Am I choosing actions that give immediate gratification or am I choosing God's blessing? We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath just as others. It's hard to wait. Ignore that question. Am I choosing things that give me immediate gratification, or am I waiting for his exaltation? It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait for marriage to have sex. It's hard to wait for God to change people. It's hard to wait for financial relief. It's hard to wait for God to resolve the difficulty I'm under. It's hard to wait, but it's often what we must do if we would walk on a godly path. On a godly path. And I guess there's one more question on your list there, just so you're not frustrated if you're taking notes. Am I choosing actions that bring immediate validation, or am I waiting on God for His exaltation? 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Again, it's hard to wait, perhaps for the boss to see your good work without bragging. It's hard to serve faithfully at church when no one seems to pat you on the back. It's hard to love somebody who doesn't see the great sacrifices you're making. But when God says He will exalt you in due time, that's what we have to wait for. Turn with me to Matthew 7 as we bring these thoughts to a conclusion today. In the weeks before I built my fence, and even since then, I looked at a lot of fences. 
uh, I'm a good copier. I'm not a good architect. So I look and look and look, go talk to some experts and think all about that. And now I've been noticing fences that are sagging. And I'm thinking, is my fence going to sag? Probably. Just because they all do, sooner or later. Lord willing, uh, in my lifetime, I won't have to redo it. As you look at your life, one of the questions you need to ask is, is your life going to sag? Or is it going to be strong? One of the things that I considered when I built my fence was the wind, the northeast wind. Part of it's exposed to the northeast wind, and I want to make sure it's going to be strong enough to stand up to the northeast wind. This is what Jesus said about righteous living. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, biblical behaviors, and does them, whoever hears them and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. Friends, your commitment to and your living out of biblical behavior will make your life strong, especially strong for when the winds of life blow and you will stand strong and godly because you have built your life strong in him. Father, make it so. Make us strong as we follow what you have told us to do in your word. Thank you for giving us a whole path for life. Help us to believe you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.